Uh, before we jump into our text, let me read uh, Psalm 23 for us. I know it's a very familiar text. Uh, I also understand you use CSB. Is that correct? Um, I'm going to be reading from ESV. Uh, let me read Psalm 23. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, Let me pray for us again. Father, we have come uh, to you this morning to hear from you. Uh, We pray, O God, that would you please in your mercy, by your grace, by your loving kindness, that would you please speak to our heart. The psalm is a very familiar one. May we not treat it as though it is familiar, but may we look at it as your word that is new every morning. We're praying that would you please uh, help me as I preach that your spirit will speak through me. I decrease this time that you would increase. And I ask that in your mercy, by your grace, that we would learn that which you want to teach us from this word today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As I pray, Psalm 23 is a very familiar text to us. Is that correct? I'm sure some of us could recite it uh, offhand. Some of us don't even remember how we crammed Psalm 23. Uh, For myself, until I started looking at this text, Psalm again, I can't remember when when I crammed Psalm 23. But I know I can recite it offhand. It's one of those very familiar Bible texts that even the younger ones can easily recite. One interesting thing is this. When, you know, in my home, while growing up, um, I'm, I'm from a family of seven, seven kids. Uh, my mom and my dad, which means there are nine of us at home. And there are things that are guaranteed every morning and night. It is that you would definitely have a morning devotion and a night evening devotion before you sleep. That is guaranteed. Wherever you are, you have to come, wake up in the morning for morning devotion, and you, before you sleep, you have to pray. Uh, verse 6 of Psalm 23 is always the, you know, after the devotion, you know, we say the grace. Or we say surely. Um, and if you are like some of us, it's always guaranteed that some people will probably sleep throughout the morning of that devotion. But you are sure to know that once surely it's been said, everyone is awake. Because you know that the devotion is over. And then you are going about your daily routine. 
So there is a confidence that comes from everyone who, or anyone who is actually sleeping during the course of the devotion. I am not recommending that. Don't sleep during devotion. But trust me, whenever the surely text is recited, you are awake. Uh, because you know that once that is recited, my mom and my dad would either open their eyes to see who is awake. Uh, but, but the confidence that we are looking at seeing in Psalm 23, it's not that confidence you get when you know that uh, the morning devotion is over. It is a confidence that comes from God. Psalm 23 wants us to see that our confidence is only in Jesus, who is our good shepherd, the one who cares for his people, the one who loves us, the one who walks on the path of righteousness with us, the one who walks through the valley of the shadow of death with us. So when we recite it, it's not just a mere recitation. It's not just something we are saying to tick off the box. But what we want to see is that we have a God who in his sovereignty and his grace has given us a son to die for us. Jesus the good shepherd. And this is the same confidence the psalmist is inviting us into to look at this morning. In the book of Psalms, you will know that the psalm, if you are familiar with Psalms, generally, 150 books that is written with emotions, different emotions that is expressed differently at different times in, in the course of Israel's history. These emotions are expressed sometimes in forms of lament, Sometimes in forms of praise, thanksgiving. We even see celebration of God's law to his people. We have the wisdom songs. But when we come to Psalm 23, what we are seeing is a psalm of confidence. The kind of confidence that deepens our trust in God. The confidence that reminds us that we have a good shepherd, regardless of whatever situation we may find ourselves. Psalms 23 uh, expresses the heart of David. David wants us to see that my confidence is in God. And he is inviting us to see the same. So when we look at the opening line of Psalm 23, it says, The Lord is my shepherd. Personal pronoun. David wants us to see that I know God and this is who he is to me. So if you are taking notes today, uh, this is what our main topic is. I will try and take it two times so that you can take it down if you are writing something. Jesus, the good shepherd, will protect and provide for us until he leads us home. I'll take that again. Jesus the good shepherd will protect and provide for us until he leads us home. And we will, we'll, we'll try and divide this up into three uh, subtopics. The first one is Jesus, the good shepherd, will provide for us. The second one is Jesus, the good shepherd, will protect his people. The third point is Jesus, the good shepherd, will lead us home. Jesus the good shepherd will provide for his people. And we see this from verse 1 to 4. You see, the idea of shepherding 
isn't an alien or isn't an unfamiliar word to David. David, as we know, his occupation, he's a shepherd. It's also not an alien word to the recipient of this text or to the Israelites of those days. The, 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 the theme of shepherd is a very common you know, theme in the scriptures. David understands this well because this is something that is relatable to him. So for him to come up and say, the Lord is my shepherd, he actually understands what that means. He understands what the role of a shepherd is. Without the shepherd, the sheep cannot succeed. Without the shepherd, the sheep cannot survive. This is a personal experience to David. This is very relatable to him. And similarly, when you look at the entire scriptures, you see that the idea of, of, of God himself being the shepherd of his people is something that is captured from the beginning of the scripture to the end of it. From Genesis to Revelation, it is clear that God is the shepherd of his people. If you must know, the word itself appears more than 111 times in the scriptures. Shepherd is a popular phrase in the scripture. In Genesis 48:15, we see that as Jacob gathered his sons around his bed, uh, while he almost uh, at, at his deathbed, he declared that God has been his shepherd all of his life to this day. Genesis, you know, is in the beginning of uh, the scriptures. And then when you come to Revelation, which is the last uh, book of the scriptures, Revelation 7, 17 says, When the saints who come out of the tribulation are brought before God, John tells us that, For the Lamb in the center of the throne shall be their shepherd, and shall guide them to the springs of the water of life. God shall wipe away every tears from their eyes. So the shepherd motif is a common metaphor in the scripture. But beyond being a familiar word, when we look at Psalm 23, David says, Yes, I know that God is the shepherd of his people, but he is also my God. God is the shepherd of his people. God is also my God. This is what David is saying. Our God who has his eyes on all of us also has his eyes on me. The God who has his eyes on all of us also has his eyes on you. He is a personal God. And because he is personal, we can corporately say he is our God and you can personally say he is my God. This is what David wants us to see as you see that first line of his expression. The Lord is my shepherd. One unique thing about Psalm 23 is how it's reading with, with pronouns, personal pronouns. We see that it's reading, it's, you, if you count the many times personal pronouns is repeated in Psalm 23, you'll find more than 17 times, just for a six-verse text, for you to see how personal this text is to David. 
And what is proof that David would be more than happy to have God all to himself? Is that the kind of relationship you have with God? A personal relationship. That may sound selfish, right? I want to have God to myself. But just as David has confessed, is that who God is to you? Is God your shepherd? And we know that when we say shepherd, God is my shepherd, it just, we'll try as we go on to unpack what that means. As a shepherd who cares for the sheep in the field, David understands that the relationship between the shepherd must be a unique one because the sheep, as a defenseless animals, do not have a sense of direction except the shepherd leads. A writer said, about the only means of defense the sheep has is to run. But where is he running to? Most times they don't know. How do they run? Very slow. Right? The sheep runs slower than any predator that is coming to attack it. The sheep have to be led to safety. David understands this role that God plays in his life. The sheep can practically stay dirty all their lives. So it is the responsibility of the shepherd to clean them up. They have no sense of direction. They can't fend for themselves. So without a shepherd, the sheep will be lost and in danger of being attacked. David can relate to this experience as a shepherd. If we know the, the story of David very well, we know that oftentimes the scripture reminds us that David continues to fight off predators and people who are, and, and animals who are trying to attack the sheep. As a king, David understands God's responsibility to Israel leaders over his people and how much they have failed, including himself. If you read Ezekiel 34, verse 1 to 5, God's word through the prophet to his people is a pronouncement of judgment for the failure of Israel leaders. So we see David as a shepherd. Now we are seeing him as a king. He said, my people have scattered and the city is in destruction because instead of feeding the sheep he kept under their care, they've been busy feeding themselves. But because we have a good God, he didn't leave us that way. He didn't leave us to the hand of shepherds who have been feeding themselves. When you look at uh, Ezekiel chapter 34, verse, 23 to, verse 22 to 23 says, I will rescue my flock, they shall no longer be prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. And he shall feed them, and he shall feed them and be there. Now, this is Ezekiel, right? If you understand the historical timeline of the scriptures, you will know that Ezekiel is written after the Psalms or David's life, right? The prophecy that we just saw in Ezekiel 34 happened more than 400 years after King David's death. 
But we are seeing the, the name David repeated here, right? And this happened 1,000 years before Jesus was born. So if Ezekiel is prophesying in Ezekiel 34 about the David after the King David's death, that means there is a greater David. That means there has to be another David that is going to be the shepherd over God's people. He says, listen again, I will set up over them one shepherd. The theme of shepherd, as I mentioned, is reading through the, 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 the scriptures. So this points to the fact that there has to be another David, a greater David, the one who is the good shepherd. The one who will gather his people home. Now let's turn to the New Testament where we read earlier in John 10, 11, John chapter 10, verse 11, we see Jesus making a very powerful declaration there. And he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. If you're tracking with me, you will see that Jesus is declaring himself as that shepherd which Ezekiel promised. And even to further establish this claim, right, or this quote Jesus made, you will see that in Psalm 22 verse 1, on the cross, he cried out, Aloy, Aloy, Sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the same cry Jesus cried on the cross. So the connection between Jesus' claim in the gospel and David's word in the psalm establishes further that the shepherd we are talking about is Jesus. Jesus is our shepherd. And because you will begin to see that the shepherd has to lay down his life for the sheep, right? Isn't that what Jesus did for us? He laid down his life for us and died the death that you and I deserve. And for every follower of Christ, this is our story. Isn't it true that the God became man for us to feel his closeness? So that when we set our eyes on the cross and see the fulfillment of the scripture for our sake, we can genuinely say we lack nothing. Because he is not like every other human shepherd that is prone to abandon their flock. He is not like the shepherd that eats the food of the flock. He is a shepherd that lays down his life for his sheep. Do you know that we are like sheep abandoned until Jesus came? That is our story. The good shepherd laid down his life for us. So when we say David understands what he's saying, he understands what the role is. And he's also speaking when he says, the Lord, Jesus, the person of the Trinity, he is God. He is the good shepherd. In him, we have our satisfaction. Regardless of what life may throw at us, 
We look at the cross and we say, I lack nothing. The beauty of the cross is that you and I, as followers of Christ, lack nothing. Because on the cross it is paid in full. We lack nothing because Jesus is enough for us. The propitiation for our sin. The one who took the wrath that we deserve. So when David says, I lack nothing, he understands what he's saying. Can you say the same? Can you look at the cross and see what Jesus has done for you and say, Ah, I lack nothing. David says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In other translation, as I, as I rightly said, it says, I lack nothing. So that's why you see me repeating, I lack nothing. Because the shepherd provides, because the shepherd sustains, he brings hope in times of worry. The shepherd comforts in times of fear. When I am lost, when you are lost, he finds us. The shepherd provides all the sheep needs to feel both safe and feel protected. This is the confidence David has in God. Now I think it's also important that we say that that the confidence David is pointing out here should not be misinterpreted as saying that God has promised us a life of luxury. That is not what he's saying. Or has he promised us a life free of trials? course, when you read further in Psalm 23, you see that he definitely walks through the valley of the shadow of death. That is not a fun place to be. But this is what David is saying. God, in whatever danger I face or will face, I find you sufficient. God does not give us everything we want. But he sure knows what we need. He knows our greatest need and he has given it to us in Christ. In verse 2 to 4, David says, This is how I feel his closeness. He makes me lie down in green pasture. He, <coughs> excuse me, he leads me beside the still water. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake, for his glory. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. A sheep would not sleep except they feel protected. Do you also know that a sheep would not lie down until they have eaten something? They will not drink water from a moving stream. So the shepherd has to take them to where they will eat, where they will drink, where they will rest. And whenever a sheep rests well, it's restored and is ready to continue the journey. So when we begin to unpack this verse, we see that there are four folds of blessing here. Why David can confidently say, God is my shepherd. And the first one we see is that 
He makes me lie down in green pasture. That's the first blessing. He leads me beside the still water. David experienced God's spiritual nourishment. Because just as a shepherd cares for the bodily nourishment of the sheep, so does God care for his people's nourishment. God feeds his people with both physical and spiritual food. It's important that we, that we emphasize that. Both physical and spiritual food. Just as he provides manna for his people in the wilderness, he feeds us with his word. The second blessing is the restoration of his soul. To restore means to turn away from something, but it also means to turn towards something. Just like the sheep needs to be restored when they are hungry, weak or lost, we also need to be restored. The effect of sin has caused you and I to be enemies of God. But the good news is that Jesus the good shepherd restores us to the Father. Friends, the cross is the only thing that makes restoration possible for you and I. Without the cross, we are deserving of God's wrath. The third blessing we, we see is that God leads him in the path of righteousness. You can see there is a movement there which shows that our journey is not complete. We are heading somewhere. As believers, our hope, we are looking forward to eternity when Jesus comes. The path of righteousness is the path that leads to the righteous one. Yet, just as the sheep needs to be guided through the safe way, just as the Lord leads David in the path of righteousness, so shall Jesus lead you and I home. Because he will lead us. He will walk with us. And he's going to be with us all the way through. And in verse 3b, we see that all this is for the sake of his name. It's not for you and I. It's not for our own self-gratification. It's not for our own glorification. Jesus will lead his people home for his namesake. He is no man that he will share his glory with anyone. And if the fourth blessing we see is in verse 4. It's interesting that after speaking of a path of righteousness, he introduced the idea of walking through the path of death. When we think about the valley of death, you should already know that this is a scary place. The valley of death, just as it sounds, is a place of darkness. It's a movement away from the, where there is sunlight or where there is a ray of light to a dark place. And I think it's worth mentioning that sometimes the path of righteousness can be very thorny, right? The path of believers is not rosy. There are challenges. 
Just like the life of the early apostles reminds us of what it means. Some were in prison. Some were killed. Many faced hardship. Some were stoned and sent out of the city. Some's head were beheaded. The path that leads to the righteous one is not always easy. There are times when you and I cannot define what life throws at us, right? Sometimes you're just wondering what is really happening. But just as the sheep trust the shepherd and is comforted by the rod and the staff, we can trust that Jesus will protect us. The rod and the staff are two elements carried by the shepherd as a tool to protect their flocks. While the rod is used to fight off praying enemies of the sheep, the staff is used to restrain the sheep from wandering. This is an imagery of God's grace to David. He protects, he defends, he guides his people. And just as the psalmist trusts God, we can also say, we fear no evil because he is with us. He is not with us temporarily. He is with us forever. He is a God who would not leave nor forsake us. Let me ask you, what are some of those things that, that may look like the valley of the shadow of death to you today? What are some of those difficult things that life is throwing at you that you don't have definition to? And all you can do is to pray and weep and share with brothers and sisters. Is it the loss of loved ones? Is it some kind of ailment? Are you suffering loss of job? Is it financial difficulties? Are you going through some trials in your faith? Are you facing some form of persecution from friends and families, from colleagues at work? What are those challenges you are facing that seems like a valley of the shadow of death? Are you in a place where you are almost given into despair? This is a text that brings hope to you. Not only does God care for our physical need, friends, but he is also more than able to care for our spiritual needs. We've seen how God, through his son, the righteous one, leads his people graciously through the path of righteousness. He's leading them through the valley of death. How he comforts, how he protects, how he delivers, how he gives rest, how he satisfies his people. He is walking with us as he leads us to that glorious day. He is the only one who can walk through the valley of the dead because he himself has conquered death. Psalm 46 verse 1 reminds us that God is our refuge, our strength. He is our present help in times of trouble. The one who has conquered death 
the one who has defeated devil and conquered death and went into the grave and rose up again on the third day, he's more than able to carry you through the valley of death. Let your confidence be in him. And as we look at verse 5, the scene immediately changes from the shepherd leading to a banquet hall where the host lavishes the guests with hospitality. And that's our second point. Jesus, the good shepherd, will protect his people. In verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with all oil. My cup overflows. Just as the sheep would have several white cats scheming to take advantage of their weaknesses, you agree with me that if there is someone with many experience and many enemies in the Old Testament, it is David himself. He was always fighting off enemies all his life, from a shepherd to a warrior to a king. But the imagery is not just about the enemies, because our text says, in the presence of his enemies, he prepares a table for him. Wherever you see an imagery of a prepared table in the scripture, we know it's a symbol of fellowship and communion. David says, you will prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemy because ordinarily feasting do not happen in presence of our enemies. Feasting happens amongst friends. But David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. And that means regardless of the enemy that surrounds me, you, O oh God, have shown me abundance. You have go, you've shown me surplus. You have given me all that I need. You have satisfied me. You give me the confidence to feel your comfort. You are hosting me. Why should I fear the enemies around me? Friends, do you know that we can only enjoy fellowship and feasting with God because of what Jesus has done? His cross makes fellowship and communion possible. Nothing can ever snatch us away from his watchful eyes. Nothing. We read further and he says, He anoints my head with oil. It is said that sometimes when flies lay egg in the nostril of the sheep, it travels down, it, it's hatched and travels down uh, the brain of, of the sheep and causes a lot of discomfort. And sometimes the place becomes infested with bugs. This causes a lot of irritation to the sheep. And what the shepherd would do in those days is to anoint kind of some oil and put it in the nose or the head of the sheep, which would travel down the nostril of the sheep and, and does what and repels the flies from, from the nostril of the sheep to bring some sense of comfort. And also we know that in the Jewish culture, anointing of oil also connotes another thing. Anointing the head with oil is also used for official purposes, right? The inauguration of prophets and kings and priests, it's used also for ordinary purposes. To, as a mark of respect by the host to his guest. But beyond those uh, experiences that the sheep has, 
to what it means to the Israelites or to the, to the, the people of, of Israel, we also know that it has a spiritual connotation. Because in the Old Testament, we know that the king is promised under the title of the anointed one. If you read Isaiah 61, you will see that there's a promise of an anointed one. But when you look at Luke 4, the New Testament also speaks of Jesus as the anointed. Friends, because Jesus is a good shepherd and a glorious host, as believers, we are also recipients of his anointing, of the Holy Spirit that comes. We have received the Spirit. The Spirit is the seal of our confidence within Him. 2 Corinthians 1.21 says, It is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. The Spirit is a mark of seal that reminds us of our confidence in God. There is nothing that can separate us from him. And the Holy Spirit is the seal, is a seal that, that, that reminds us of what a personal relationship with God is. Because of this, our journey through the path of righteousness is guaranteed. You and I can walk through the valley of the shadow of death because of the spirit that is given to us. And as a great and gracious host that Jesus is, he overfills our cup of salvation. So much more that those around us would see and experience his fullness. The beginning of our text says, I lack nothing. But here it says, my cup runs over. A surplus. David understands that God is there. And with him, there is abundance and there is surplus. There is overflow of his grace. There is an overflow of his protection. You cannot give what you do not have. Is that correct? The shepherd feels our cup beyond abundance because he is abounding in love. He's abounding in grace. He's abounding in hope and he's abounding in joy for every trial you face. As you journey towards the glorious day, there is an overflow of God from God that will carry us through. Let me repeat that. For any trials you face as you walk through the path of righteousness, as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, there is an overflow of God from God who is Jesus to carry you through. Holding on to this truth is the only reason the psalmist can make the bold declaration we see in verse 6. And that's our last point. Jesus, the good shepherd, will take us home. Verse 6 says, Surely goodness, God's goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When you look at verse 5, 1 to 5, you will see that, yes, there is a reason for David to say this. 
It is not the reason we have during our morning devotion to stay awake or to be ready to go about our day even while sleeping through the devotional time. The confidence David has here is the confidence of the one who knows him. A better translation, I would say, or translate the word mercy in, in that verse as is loving kindness. Okay? Which means I can say, surely his goodness and loving kindness. And the word follow there means to pursue. The psalmist says, Yahweh's loving kindness will continue to pursue us. Friends, today we are recipients of God's love in Jesus and the one who paid the ultimate price for our sin. He didn't just die to leave us on our own. He will continue to pursue us until we are safely home. He pursued us from the den of darkness and rescued us from the bondage of sin to a new life. Did you do anything to deserve the grace? No. It is His grace that pursued you. And He is not going to leave you. He is going to continue to walk with you until we are safely home. His loving kindness will continue to pursue you, church, until you are safely home. And that is why the, 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 uh, the scripture will say, nothing can separate us from His love. The confidence the psalmist wants us to have here is to trust that the one who began the good work will complete it. Have you noticed that the psalmist begins with the Lord and ends with the Lord? The death of the good shepherd on the cross is the beginning of a new life for us in Christ. He is the one who will complete it. And it's in between the beginning and the end of all things, his loving kindness will continue to carry you through. When everything around you makes zero sense and all you can do is sit in one corner of your house and cry, know that his loving kindness will pursue you. When there seems to be no medical solution to uh, what you are going through, know that his loving kindness will continue to pursue you. When you sin and, and a brother comes to you and rebukes you or reminds you of the grace you have received, don't be defensive. David experienced the same thing during his, his case with Uriah and Bathsheba. And God rebuked him. It is God's loving kindness that is pursuing him. The same way his loving kindness is pursuing you when a brother asks you to repent of your sin. And here is the sweet part. Okay? He will not give up on you until he leads you home. There's no more confidence you need, brothers and sisters. He will walk with you as a friend and he will carry you when you are weak. That is who God is. The one 
who did not save his son for us, the one who gave up his only son so that we may have life. What you will notice as a big picture in this text is that there are several pointers that remind us that we are on a journey. Some of the action words you see there is he leads. Right? Jesus leads and feeds us along the way. In him we find our rest and we are refreshed. He walks the path of righteousness with us because he is the righteous one. Yes, there will be enemies and sin struggles along the way and we will walk through the valley of death. Still, we will not fear because God is with us. He keeps us for his glory and he will comfort us and he will guide us. He will protect us. He will carry us. He will host you and I because of his loving kindness. And we will dwell in his house forever and ever. I'm sure you know we are not talking about this house. We are talking about eternity when he comes. One of the beautiful texts for me in Revelation is knowing that he will sit on the same table and we will eat with him. We will dwell in his presence forever and ever. We are talking about the place where God himself is. That is why this psalm is not just for the time of David. This psalm doesn't just remind us of what we are seeing today, but it also points us to eternity when Jesus would come. Is your confidence in God? Let's pray.